I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. There's a quote that is often uh, attributed to St. Teresa of Calcutta. I'm not exactly sure of its veracity, but it's often said that she said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. Actually, I have a tea towel hanging in my kitchen that has those, those words on it. If you want to change the world, go home and love your family. And I remember one of the first times I heard that line, it was not long after my eldest, she's five now, so this was well over five years ago when I was still pregnant with her. And, and I was kind of grappling with this, this struggle. I think a lot of us have the struggle of, am, am I going to change because I'm, I'm going to have a child? And the answer, of course, is yes. There's no reason why I wouldn't change because now I, I'm a mom. But I was struggling with and kind of dealing with that, that internal battle that I think every person has, parent or not, of what's going to happen next? What's my life going to look like tomorrow? What's my life going to look like in 10 years? What's my life going to look like when this or that person is a part of it? And then what do I need to do? And, and here's the big question. What do I need to do with my life, with my expectations, with my work, with my relationships in order to be the very best that I can be for these people that I love, for these people that I serve, for this world that I want to change? And the way I change it is by, by being at home and loving my family. And how does that loving my family only happen when I love myself? How does that formation of my family only happen well when I myself have been well formed? What do I need to do in my life, in my home, to be able to change the world by the love that I give to the people that I care about the most? Now, that's a, a really big way to start an episode, but there really is no other way to start this episode because the conversation that I got to have with Sister Josephine Garrett is so expansive because she brings such beautiful insight into what it looks like to renew the family, what it looks like to change the world by loving our families, which we can only do when we ourselves know how much we are loved. And healing is the way that we come to an understanding of how much we are loved. The healing of our heart, the healing of our head, the healing of our, of our soul, the healing of our families, the healing of the wounds that we have often carried for so very long that we don't even realize at times how heavy they actually are, right? Healing is based in a desire to come to a place of peace. I'm, I'm restless, I'm uneasy, something is wrong, and so I seek out healing or I desire for that problem to be fixed in some way, shape, or form. Sister Josephine Garrett gets to work with children in a school context where every single day she's sitting down with kids, she's sitting down with teachers, she's sitting down with parents, and she's trying to help them come to a deeper understanding of here is how we find peace, peace for this child, peace for this family. Here's how mom and dad, who are often bringing a lot of their woundedness into the room, here's how they can possibly seek healing. And all of that is connected, right? Let's go back to those words of, of St. Teresa of Calcutta. If she actually said them, if I want to change the world, I've got to love my family. How do I love my family? I have to live from a place of healing. How do I find healing? Well, that's what this entire series is about. And that in fact, the way the world is renewed, the way the world is transformed is by healing happening within our heads, within our hearts, and within our homes. Because what happens inside my house in the 70605 zip code affects far more than just the 70601 zip code down the road. It affects everything. It affects the way my husband approaches 
his students. It affects the way my child interacts with her classmates. It affects the way I do everything from run through the Starbucks drive-thru to grab coffee to intro this podcast, right? Every single one of us in the home is affecting something outside of our home. And so if we are healed within our home, if we are renewed within our families, we can on purpose and sometimes even inadvertently help renew the world. That's what healing within the family means and looks like. Sister Josephine Garrett is the perfect person to talk to about this. She herself has a story of healing. She herself has a journey of renewal and is, of course, working in the field of helping families find renewal. And not even just working in the field, it is the very charism of her religious order. And so this conversation, I think, is one of my favorites from this entire season. And not just because Sister Josephine is one of my dearest friends, but because the insights she brings are just kind of the perfect halfway point of our whole series. You can find everything we've created up to this point and even get a preview of what's coming next over on our website, AveMariaPress.com. If you click on over there, you'll see everything that we've created up to this point and what we have coming for you down the line. We hope you sign up for those emails so you don't miss anything. But for now, we'd love it if you'd sit back and have a conversation, or listen to this conversation rather, with Sister Josephine Garrett about healing and renewal within the family. Sister Josephine, my mom's going to be so jealous I got to hang out with you. How are you? Welcome back to Ave Explorers. I'm good. Thank you for having me back. I uh, So we're going to be at an event together in January, and my mom has already asked if she can come. And I was like, yeah, I mean, if you want to pay for a flight, you can come hang out. With, why do you want to come to this event for a bunch of high school kids? She's like, because Sister Josephine's going to be there. Like, it's 100% <laughs> so she can see you. I'm excited to meet her. I'm excited to meet her. She's, a, she's um, a big fan. I think because I gush about you so much. Because we've, we, I feel like this summer we got a lot of time together, which was a real I, blessing. We did, and uh, I loved it. It was a it gift. Just, Mexican yes. food together and, yes, and driving around Philly in my minivan. It was a party. And a few meals together, not just like one. Yeah, like a yeah. few sit down and hang out. The gift oh, of so giving. Good. Um, mm-hmm. Sister, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are. I know you're in a school right now. So, and, and what you do day to day as a religious sister. Sure. So I'm a sister of the Holy Family of Nazareth, and our charism is to like help renew family life. So our mother founders was well captivated by the Blessed Trinity. She was like, how can she wanted to like the love that was in the Trinity? She wanted to help that be more in the world. Mm -hmm. And this is where there's a family spirit. And so our charism was kind of born in that that movement of the Holy Spirit in her. And so we serve families in lots of different ways. And really try to make sure in our communities that we foster a family spirit among ourselves. So I get to be a counselor, which was, I love, I never, if somebody would have asked me 15 years ago, I would have never said I'm going to be a counselor. And when I became a counselor, I chose to specialize in trauma. So trauma is something that I and passionate about helping people heal from. And then I also specialize in serving children and teenagers. And so I work in a school, a great school here in Tyler, Texas, and then also a private practice. When you say you never expected counseling, I always love asking nuns, how did you get that assignment? Like, did somebody just call you up and go, we feel this is where your gifts are used? Because I know I've spent some time with the Sisters of Life. And if you ask any of them like about their specific mission, they'll be like, oh, yeah, no, this is not what I would have chosen for myself. But that's the beauty of religious life. Somebody chooses it for you and you obey and know Mm -hmm. that the Holy Spirit was part of that decision. How does it work with you guys? 
So at the end of the novitiate, because I had been in banking, so I had been a project manager and operations manager in banking, we knew it wasn't likely that I was going to go back to the bank at first vows. And so, <laughs> Issue loans um, and a habit. <laughs> right? It's like, come and make your transaction yeah. and let's talk about Jesus. <laughs> so we knew that was probably not going to happen. So the sisters had been telling me all along to like discern what kind of education I would like to ask for. And I thought I was really going to ask for a theology degree and hope to like serve in like parish setting, like religious education in some way. But when I went on what's called our apostolic experience, it's where we go spend three months ministering with our sisters, like living in another convent of the novitiate and ministering. I was at our university in Philadelphia and was working in our counseling department there for a day and just started reading a lot of the literature. And it resonated so deeply with me. Like if someone had asked me, why do you want a theology degree? I would have answered with the things those brochures I was reading were saying that are accomplished, you know, for people as a counselor. Mm. And so I just took all that to my my superiors and was like, you know, I'm 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 feeling called to this. And they affirmed that in me. It was really beautiful. So they just like they were able to kind of speak back to me and tell me gifts they saw in me that matched like this this, you know, receiving of a call that I had had to be a counselor. So that's how that happened. So it came up in me. I brought it to the sisters and they affirmed it in me. That's beautiful. I love that it matches so perfectly, too, with the charism of the order of renewal, because I feel like in counseling, in therapy of all types, whether specifically Mm -hmm. trauma focused or marriage counseling or, Mm -hmm. you know, event based like this thing has happened, probably trauma. And and so you need some sort of counseling that a renewal occurs. I want to dig into that word because I think it's a beautiful word to put beside healing, that healing is Mm -hmm. a renewal of the spirit. It's a renewal of the mind. I'll use the example of when I realized I need to go to therapy for one particular thing. We had these two hurricanes hit Lake Charles Mm. and I thought I was fine. Like, okay, we're back in our house. We have a roof. The floors have been changed. Everything's good. And then on May 17th, 2021, Lake Charles flooded and I was frozen in terror as water came into my house. And I realized I am not actually healed from this and I need to probably talk to somebody about this and how even just that first session there was a balm to my soul in realizing it was okay to not be okay. Renewal is part of that. Let's talk about it. When a a young person comes to you, when a family comes to you, when you just see a kid passing in the hall and you think they need therapy, what does it look like to start to dig into the healing journey, especially with a kid and with a family? So what I love about being a counselor in a school, like I graduated, I spent some time working in a trauma-focused place for children. I did an internship there for a year. And then when I left there, I came right to the school. And what I loved about that children's center and this place is was they really taught us to work from a multidisciplinary perspective. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I love about being in a school is it like really speaks truth that the system can reveal more about what is needed for healing than an individual in isolation. Mm. So when we see like a child struggling, automatically all these heads start to come together to understand the child from those various like multiple disciplines. So we'll have the teacher come and offer their perspective from the ex- their expertise as an educator. We have 
a special services woman who's been in special needs for 40 years, she comes to the table to look at like learning diagnosis that may mm-hmm. be at play. And then I come to the table with what mental health realities might be at play. So that's usually the first step is to the people who are in this in this ministry who serve this child. What do you see? You know, and how do we all see this Mm -hmm. from our various disciplines to bring that together? And then it's usually me who will engage the parent. I mean, even if there's a discipline issue, our our principal will provide perspective from escalated discipline issues. But it's usually me who will engage the parent. Before I engage the child, sometimes, sometimes we have to engage the child first. That really depends on age, too. If they're a little bit older, I will check in with them. But it's when you're working with little kids, even through middle school, there's a joke they would say at the advocacy center where I served. They'd be like, that's parenting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we get it. We'd get a case file and see all the symptoms and the concerns. And we'd be like, this is really like an encounter with the parent. And so I think that's the main thing when working with children that we could probably take that wisdom too to working with adults. It's just not as easy. But with working with children to take a systemic approach and to see like this, this child like abides in a community, in a system, in a family, and what dynamics are at play that are impacting the child and kind of bringing to the surface some of the concerns we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And then the child himself or herself, their disposition. So that's step one is to like listen to the community the child abides in to help inform like next steps and inform treatment needs and inform diagnosis. And then to bring in the parents. And I like to just really listen to parents' stories, like to even literally from like when you this child was conceived up until now, like tell me the story. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, even when parents are just telling that story, they can start to more understand like whatever struggles, you know, they're experiencing. So mm-hmm. those are kind of those first steps, like engage the parent, but also engage the community to understand the child. And try to stay objective, like Mm. try to receive all of that in an open stance, you know, and not lean too far either way, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but like really take that in. Yeah. That's a beautiful line that the system can show something new. Tommy and I will frequently with like Rose, who's five and a kindergartner. So obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, five-year-old will be like, is this something that just happens at home or is this also happening at school? Because like, you know, a kid will behave differently at school than they will behave at home. At Mm -hmm. home, they're much more comfortable, so they might act out in a different way. At school, they want to be people pleasers and, like, sit up straight. We we just had back-to-school night last night, and I about died when the teacher (laughs) went, okay, so um, as far as, like, snacks coming to school and, like, party things, uh, the only allergy we know of in our class is nutmeg. And Tommy and I just both turned bright red because Rose has a nutmeg allergy that is incredibly minor. She gets hives. (laughs) It's happened one time, and, like, she will tell everybody she meets, I have a nutmeg allergy. Does this have nutmeg? Like, it's, a, it's some pretzel. Does this have nutmeg? And so we're like, oh my gosh, just like this child, is she holding on to some sort of, I need to have some sort of medical trauma? Like, do we have a kid with Munchausen's? Like what's, you know, your mind starts to drift mm-hmm. all the way to like at 7 p.m. when she's tired and ready for bed and she asks for another show and we say no, she tarts out and we're like, okay, but that's not happening at, at school. So as a parent, you have one perspective. As the kid, mm-hmm. they have a perspective. Yes. That outside voice who spends eight hours a day with them, sees them in the hall, watches them on the playground. I'm not in that setting. Also True. has a perspective. I love that there's this, this beautiful connection of all of that. When parents begin, especially, and I'm, I'm thinking of this as the kindergarten mom, when parents hear, okay, we think your child might be struggling with this. 
or we've noticed that, do you find that parents become incredibly defensive? Like, oh my gosh, that's not my kid. Or are they like relieved to have an answer because they in their heart know something's going on, even if it's incredibly minor, like, you know, it wouldn't be in some sort of a textbook, but it's still something that that kid needs to work through. What's often the reaction? Both. Okay. <laughs> I find both. Yeah. So, and this is, I, I will tell you, Katie, I tell people all the time, like, in my, I've been here five years. I've been serving as a counselor in this community five years. And if my top three learnings are just like the beauty and mystery of parenting. I have so much compassion for parents, you know, after after being here and working with parents. And so it's both. And so just over the years and my growing compassion and really just feeling like an honor to accompany parents, the word I use is when, as soon as I engage a family, we're on a journey. And so I'm always telling the staff, like, I know you want to be over here at this destination, like get the med and the kids so we can get this learning done check, right? <laughs> Sometimes what it's the an enrichment. Will be, Healing is an enrichment on Tuesdays at 1.30. <laughs> boom, right? And so I'm like, but we have started at point A on a journey and this parent gets to go along on the way. Mm-hmm this family gets to go along on the way. So it's usually both. They'll be, and it it just really depends on also how much the parent has been struggling at home, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're right. Home is a whole different set of tasks for a child than school. Mm -hmm. And so that's always a good information point to let me know if I've got something organic or behavioral. Because if it's organic, you're going to see it everywhere to go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not going to be situational. If it's behavioral, it's going to be situational. So if the parents have been struggling and I'll come and offer like a clinical explanation, there will oftentimes be relief. Mm-hmm. But if they can't understand what's, you know, they haven't really seen what's going on from a learning perspective in the home, it's hard. Mm-hmm. And parents rightly so want to advocate for their kids. Mm-hmm. And so I really try to enter in to say, you know, we're going to go at the pace that you need to go at. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat things, yeah. but I am going to advocate for the family. So I'm going to stand in this tension of where the school is like, we want you here. And the family's like, well, I don't know if that's where my child's supposed to go. I will stand in that tension with the family mm-hmm. and, and let them come along in their time. You know, it may add some more rest days for the staff. Mm-hmm. It may add some, some rougher days, but so yeah, it's usually both, Katie. It's defense, but that defense, I would actually name advocacy for their child, for their family, for their values. Mm-hmm. Because when you drop a diagnosis into a family and like all that it means, they, there is a shift. There mm-hmm. has to be a shift in values and perspective and how you see your child, uh, what you thought for your child, mm-hmm. you know, how you thought your child would, would uh, perform academically, you know, what kind of awards and prizes you saw them getting. Like, I think parents don't realize how much they look ahead in the life of their, like vision for the life of their child. And mm-hmm. so it's a big shift when we, bring these things to the surface to start to talk about, no, there's something here that needs to be healed or treated or addressed or accommodated. Mm-hmm. The family then goes on a journey and they get time to go on that journey. And so, I yeah. mean, it's almost like the the journey of healing, especially when it comes to kids, which is something that we as adults facilitate for and with them becomes a, a practice in releasing control. 
Like, I want to get my kid to, to, to the end of this healing. I want them to stop doing this particular thing. Or I want them to be able to regulate in this particular situation. Or I want them to be able to tell me why they're feeling this way or why they're they're behaving in that way. And, and it, it, healing for adults, we understand this. Father Rob talks about this in the first episode. Like, healing is, uh, yeah, I arrive at a place of I'm no longer in persistent depression, can't get out of my bed, but I'm never done with this process of learning. And yet that's it. We think with kids, well, we can just arrive at, at the end of the road. What are the the trends here? Because I feel like we when I think back to elementary school, middle school, high school, I think about the I was listening to an episode of, of the New York Times, The Daily, this morning, and it was that there used to be these external factors that were the causes of concern in the lives of young people. So drinking too much or driving too fast like these external things that we could harm ourselves with. And there's been a shift since the arrival of the internet and since the arrival of cell phones in our pockets to where now it's internal concerns. That, yeah, there's these external things, but also there's a lot that brews inside the child earlier because of what they're exposed to, because of puberty happening earlier, because of the the social economic changes within our culture that are causing a, a whole new set of things we have to deal with. So the example in this particular podcast was a pediatrician would diagnose, you know, a dozen chicken pox and 15 ear infections and would just be passing out amoxicillin. And now it's not just, okay, you're just an infectious disease expert. It's kids coming to you with anxiety. It's kids coming to you with depression. It's kids coming to you presenting with autism symptoms. It's kids coming to you with all these external things that now you need a mental health professional to tap in. What are we seeing trend-wise? Is that, is that podcast correct? So I, the thing I would I hear that I would want to like listen more to them about these kids always had an internal world. Mm-hmm. I think it is more tumultuous than it used mm-hmm. to be. Is mm-hmm. how I was like, so th- there was always a need to be concerned with their inner world as well as like the external things. But right now, the Surgeon General at the end of last year, the end of 2021, December of 2021, did declare a national emergency mm. for youth and adolescent mental health. So technically this country is is in a national emergency regarding the mental health of young people. We just don't hear people talk about that much. Yes, the pandemic helped to escalate that, but even before the pandemic, there were already like grave concerns. Mm -hmm. And so what you're talking about, yes, like how the internet not only is impacting like self-concept, and cognitive processes in young people. But I would say to look at how the internet is impacting brain development. Mm, mm-hmm. And so I think like when I see that, yes, the prevalence is growing among young people with mental health, I think what it, we have to look at it in a balanced way. What runs alongside that is advances in the field of mental health mm. to help you know, better diagnose some things that perhaps we were always seeing. But then what runs alongside that is how are the brains of our children developing differently based on the context in which they're raised? Mm. And I think technology has a lot to do with that and a lot to do with why we are seeing an uptick in what are neurodevelopmental disorders. Mm -hmm. So autism is a neurodevelopmental disorder. ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder. A lot of times we're diagnosing anxiety and depression, but that anxiety and depression can be a feature of a neurodevelopmental disorder Mm -hmm. in a child that's not treated. So if I have a child who's not getting treated for their ADHD or their autism or their dyslexia or their dysgraphia or their dyscalculia, they're going to start to look anxious and depressed. Mm. 
And so that's what I would want to listen to that podcast to hear more because what I experience with children, there's a growing change in how their brains develop. There's a tremendous increase in pre- uh, children presenting with neurodevelopmental disorders, which also includes sensory issues. Mm-hmm. That's why we hear so much about sensory, have so many sensory seeking kids, kids with unique sensory needs. All that stuff relates to how their brains develop, how our brains develop relates to relationships mm-hmm. and our ability to, to encounter the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and so if we're not helping them, if we're not helping them cope, they'll come up with their own way. Right. Like, yeah, they'll feel off. And so in the feeling off and this is not me saying that there's a right way to feel, but in them feeling dysregulated and them feeling something's not right, a behavior will manifest. And that behavior will either be something that everybody finds pleasing or that everybody finds annoying. Right. Or or, or hard (laughs) to deal with. Like, this is not how we function in society. And so. There's that line, hurt people, hurt people. Like the kid yes. that is is struggling is going to struggle in every context. Healing is not just a slap a Band-Aid on it, fix it. I mean, it, if, if, if trauma can change the brain, healing can change the brain. Like this is an, this is an effort to Absolutely heal true. the whole yes. person. And yes. then I always have to remind myself that the role of a parent in forming and shaping a child it's yes, it's for my household at, at on Wedgwood Street in 70605. Like, yes, that's my my response, but this is my little kingdom. But my child also participates in society. And so I'm like forming a human for the world. Like I'm helping shape a child who will contribute to the greater community in which we're a part. And so if I if I feel that heal, healing is a it's a social thing, right? Yes. And so like what you're saying, like how you send your child into the world, and I don't want parents to get like a fatal, you know, get all fatalistic about it, but like how you send your child into the world can transform the world. Yeah. And this is our charism, you know, to spread God's love in the world through loving relationships that are centered on fidelity to the will of God. And so, you know, I say when I'm dealing with kids, when I'm in my practice dealing with clients, no matter where, like my theoretical orientation is God am its best 24, Mm. that we can't understand ourselves except through a sincere gift of ourselves. And so like the work becomes, how do we help this family, this child, this client grow in greater degrees of being able to live the dimension of gift? And I think that's what like is counselor is kind of what we bring is what can we do here? How can we leverage these interventions to like accompany Jesus, the healer Mm -hmm. and his work to help these, these kids and these families grow in the dimension of gift. You know, you mentioned Jesus, the healer. I always love how the Holy Spirit pops up in these conversations because I have in my notes, all right, bring up the sacraments because we're bringing up the sacraments in every single podcast in a very subtle way. I'm not segueing into this very well, but, but you're, you're not just counseling from the perspective of, Okay, here's it's the DSM, right? Like here's this giant textbook that I have to dig into to find the proper diagnosis. <laughs> You're also coming at this from the perspective of I I am a religious sister in the church and I have this clinical background and I also have this habit that is this countercultural sign to the world. And I love I you had you posted a picture on I think it was Twitter this summer where you'd gone to a conference and they'd used your baptismal name, not your sister name. And so like here you are walking through the building and like like you were kind of this this contradiction within yourself. Like here's my old name and I'm in this new habit that's also this medieval <laughs> outfit that everybody's looking at me, but I'm participating in this very modern field that does a lot of good in the world. 
Mm-hmm. How, how do those two things fuse together? You're in a Catholic school. You're in the habit. You also are in private practice. Like, what is it like to, I'm not going to say fuse because you can't pray away anxiety and you can't pray away autism, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. a part of the healing journey for your charism of renewal of the family and love of Jesus Christ and spouse of Jesus Christ. How does that all meld together for you in this ministry? It's been a joy. So like I answer the question, like knowing I'm still learning how it all (laughs) melts together, (laughs) but like it's been a joy and I wouldn't want to be a counselor any other way, Mm. you know, than to, it can be overwhelming. You know, you can be the most trained counselor and still, you know, and have the fanciest interventions and, (laughs) you know, know all the things and it's still, take time. Mm -hmm. And so I think without being the spouse of Jesus Christ, like without having a relationship of faith with Jesus and without like a closeness to the resurrection, I don't know that I could be a counselor, Mm -hmm. especially not a trauma counselor. (laughs) And so it really becomes Feeling trauma without the cross seems counterproductive. Is very counterproductive <laughs> without the Paschal Mystery. And so it's become foundational for me. Mm-hmm. I just would, wouldn't want to be a counselor any other way. I'm so grateful for the place I went to school. My best friend, she called it the United Colors of Pentaton because the staff was so diverse in multiple <laughs> domains of diversity. But the man who ran the department, he had a physical disability so he was in a wheelchair and he was an atheist and when it was ta- yeah and when it was ta- <laughs> he's, he's teaching a nun how to be a counselor he said the most beautiful thing to me when it was time for me to begin my internships I had started applying and a place told me they were would love to have me if I wouldn't wear my habit mm. and so I was like I'm not gonna work here so I was upset because it was one of the places I had been hope like the type of place I had been hoping for, mm-hmm. but then I got that same job here, uh, but it all worked out and they came back and offered it to me in my habit later. But I was able to say too late. <laughs> At the time I went back to campus and was sitting with him and I was crying. I was overwhelmed, but I knew I would not be moved on the matter. And I didn't know what it would mean for me. This atheist man looks at me and he says, I need you at your internship and your habit. Mm. And I was like, why? And he said, I need you to be be sincere about who you are before your clients, Mm. because it's not fair for you to ask them to be sincere with you if you're not sincere with them. Mm. And so he was like, you need, and he essentially was telling me that I needed to stand in truth, you know, before my clients. And so it was just a really beautiful moment that even this atheist man understood, like, that this was a gift that I brought to the counseling room, not something I had to figure out how to mm-hmm. fit in. Mm-hmm. And so that's it's beautiful. foundational. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love too that th- that's a, it's a witness. I mean, it gives this, be- that that's the perfect, you're being authentic. This is who you are. You can't just right. like turn off the nunhood <laughs> when no. you're in the counseling session. At the that's same the time, no. you're not going to Jesify therapy in the sense that like, okay, we can just pray these things away, but Absolutely not. You know, this is, and, and I, I feel like sometimes that's a temptation of, of the external non-professional, you know, mm. we see it on social media every now and then there's some silly little priest who like tweets out about how anxiety wasn't a problem 50 years ago. Cause everybody was going to this kind of mass praying the rosary. And it's like, oh, well, actually I think it was a problem. Like look at all the evidence of what was going on, especially among housewives and their drinking problems, but we're not going to talk about that specifically, right? Like you're just going <laughs> to pretend like everything was hunky dory once upon a time. I I think, I mean, I'll just, I'll speak into you for a moment. Like, I think you as a mental health professional in the habit 
provides evidence and proof of the both that Catholicism yes. can stand in a very unique way in both and and bridge. I mean, if, if Catholicism is not a bridge to things, I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. There's a quote, and I'm just not going to say it right. Maybe one you could find it for the show mm-hmm. notes, but there's a quote where Pope St. John Paul II says that a proper view of the human person, a whole view of the human person must take into consideration the contribution of the sciences regarding psychology and psycho- psychiatry mm-hmm. and mental health. And so even our Pope said that. And I would say, too, to tell someone you don't need counselors, you just need your faith, I think is playing God. Mm. Like, who are you to say where God reigns? Mm -hmm. Like, and who are you to say it's only in these particular settings and these particular ways where God heals? Like, that's actually contrary to a life surrendered to the power and will of God. And so I just, people who are hearing messages like that, I can assure you that God reigns as healer and king in the therapy room, Mm -hmm. you know? And for my own healing, like, I know I've needed all of that. Like, I've needed a foundation in the sacraments and my therapist Mm -hmm. and my spiritual director and my mentors and coaches. And so uh, I would just be careful with that kind of language because I think it can actually end up like managing God mm-hmm. or like governing God versus God governing me. Yeah. To assume that healing from the Lord can't happen in even the most secular of settings or to assume that like the faith can't inform those settings in a, in a really mm-hmm. beautiful way. You know, sister, we've been doing these podcasts kind of in reverse. We've started with the practical. We've started with the professional and that's been very on purpose. Uh, the, the whole reason was because we had one interview that's later on in the season and she specifically requested that we wait to tell her story in later. She wanted to get comfortable. We'd never met each other before. Okay. And I ended up loving <laughs> the way we did it. Cause it was like, yeah, I want to dig into the, the mind of our guest and your expertise and then hear mm-hmm. your story. Because you said, and I have all these notes, it's my favorite part of podcasting is writing all these notes and then I have them forever. It's like a therapist, right? Like I have all these notes about what she said. It's mainly just so I can write a decent description afterwards. But stories are part of our healing journey. The family comes in and you say, tell me the story of your child. The child sits down and you say, tell me what's been going on. And a kid's going to rattle off something that doesn't even seem related, but you know exactly where it fits in. story is part of it. And so you've arrived at this, this ministry, you've arrived in this habit, you are doing beautiful work that I've been very privileged to watch. What is your story of, of healing? Where is healing impacted you? I mean, we're we're not going to go back to day one of sister Josephine's existence on this earth, but have there (laughs) been moments (laughs) where you've known (laughs) where the healing has uh, of the Lord has been needed and you've you've sought it or you've gone kicking and screaming into it. What what is that healing story for you? I think like I guess where I'll kind of like enter the story is when like around the time I got my first counselor. And so I had become Catholic at that point. I had been Catholic for four years. And this is also when I started discerning my vocation. And so I was dispositioned to seek out that counselor because I had had a real meaningful confession, Mm. a very meaningful confession that kind of like opened me up. I think that just opened me up. (laughs) So uh, a way that it opened me up was I started to discern and I got a spiritual director and I started to pray more. And it was in the context of prayer, just one afternoon that I wrote in my journal 
feel called to see a counselor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so then eventually I went and saw that counselor. I can tell you my first session, I, I like to tell people this story because I see it more as a clinician and I hear about it more. My first session with my first counselor, it was very hard. So if you've never gone to a counselor before and you have that kind of conversation for the first time, it can be very overwhelming. It doesn't mean therapy didn't work. It doesn't mean they broke you. It just, it's a, it's at first, it's, it's a big experience. And so I went, I couldn't drive my car home from that meeting. I'm at the pullover because I had just never spoken about some of my own wounds in that way. Yeah. And so I want to say that. So I got this first counselor and we worked a lot on my, probably my deepest wound of abandonment by my father. So when I was eight years old, my father took his life. Mm. And at that point, my mother wasn't well either. And so from the ages of six to eight, she hadn't been able to take care of us. And so we knew we couldn't go to our mother. We knew, you know, now our father is gone and we were adopted by my aunt and uncle. And so that, thir- that first therapist, that's what we really worked on. I mean, around every which way you could think. And I didn't go to him to work on that wound. I went to him to figure out what was wrong with me that I would want to be a nun. That's why I went to him. <laughs> and then was, best. You know, tell me about childhood. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just this wonderful, like, integrated reality where like prayer was constantly informing that therapeutic relationship with that counselor. Mm-hmm. One like example I can say of that is again, I'm discerning my vocation. I'm seeing this counselor. I have a spiritual director, you know, so everything's kind of growing at the same time. And my vocation director had challenged me to like go see my mother who I hadn't seen since I was six years old. And I was 28 at the time, I think. 28 or 29. And I told her, I'm not doing that. Mm. Like, I forgive her. Why would I need to go say, you know, tell her I forgive her? That seems ridiculous to me. And so I took it to my counselor and he said, so my vocations director made the suggestion. She was a mentor to me. I took the suggestion to my counselor and I said, take her off the trust list. She's clearly lost her mind. And he said, well, why don't we explore it? So we explored it for like six weeks. Like, what would that look like? And then I finally went before Jesus in the exposed blessed sacrament and was like, why is this even coming up, Lord? And it was in the context of the exposed blessed sacrament where the Lord showed the unforgiveness in my heart to me. Mm. And so I like that story in my own life because it shows that interplay of all of these gifts from God in my life to help me arrive before the Lord, the blessed sacrament like ready to receive the word he had for me. Mm-hmm. So Sister, Sister Michelle, the vocations director, played a role in that. My counselor played a role in that. My spiritual director was helping me with it too. And then when I arrived before the Blessed Sacrament, like I was dispositioned to hear because of participation in all those other relationships. So I can tell you that wound, I've got other wounds that are deep. That's probably my deepest wound mm-hmm. is with my parents. I've got others that offshoot from that one. The greatest lesson I have learned in healing, it sucks because we want it to be done. (laughs) But sometimes I'm looking at that tabernacle and I'm like, how are we still having this discussion? (laughs) Like we've gone around and around it and around it. And in one way or another, it still hurts. It doesn't hurt like it did 10 years ago. It certainly doesn't hurt like it did 20 years ago. But here we are circling, you know, circling still. 
healing is a great mystery. Yeah. And sometimes we'll hear about people who it's like a one and done. And sometimes we'll hear that it's through the life. And so some of us have to wait, um, but scripture speaks about waiting. Mm. It's Isaiah 40 that says, they that wait are made strong. Mm. They that wait are made strong. And so that's probably the greatest lesson that waiting for this complete and total healing, but the weight isn't wasted in the weight I am made strong. Mm, mm-hmm. I think that's what I would offer. The second thing I would offer is don't compare your healing to other people's healing. Mm-hmm. That will make a mess of it. <laughs> that's a good <laughs> Why point, is she yeah. healing like that? And I'm healing like this. Don't do that. That's mm-hmm. a lesson that I've learned. And I think the last lesson that I have learned is that, and this one's tricky, It's connected to that scripture verse that says all things work together for the good of those who love God. Mm -hmm. Something about his call. I'm such a a good Catholic and a bad Baptist. I can't, I don't have it memorized. I I would not say, like, I think it's hard for people to say, oh, I'm grateful for my wounds. I don't think that's the right way to say it. But I can say like, because of Jesus, when I enter into these wounds, Mm -hmm. you know, in the spirit to seek healing, he is there. Mm-hmm. And so he cannot have the final say. And so in a sense, when I'm tired of waiting, it's like, well, A, in waiting, I am made strong. And in B, when I keep returning to this, because the Lord will heal it in his time, I get to meet Jesus there. Mm-hmm. And that's a great mystery, because I think that can get twisted really quickly within the wrong hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, those that's kind of... That's my my healing. Mm. You can keep going, sister. There's some, <laughs> some good words. I, I'm sitting here going, preach. Like I, you know, like I don't. We don't even need to look up the Bible first. I know what you're talking about. Like I, that, that's a that's a good word on this idea of waiting. Because again, healing is sometimes seen as a project. Like I was almost even hesitant to want to do this series because I didn't want people to think that we were just like, okay, ten episodes and we're gonna figure out healing and. And, oh God, no. you know, we, we, we did a mental health series and we consistently kept saying in the mental, and this was pre COVID, which is weird to think that we tackled mental health before the greatest crisis of our time where we all kind of went a little crazy, but not that mental health is just crazy stuff. Please clarify that in our, in our show notes, <laughs> folks. No, the point simply being person. that I, I feel like we approach it sometimes as a project, a item on my to-do list. Okay, today we're going to heal this child. And today we're going to heal this part of our woundedness in our family. And today Mm -hmm. I'm going to tackle the father wound. And then I'm going to tackle the mother wound. And then I'm going to tackle that relationship in high school that I think still might be messing me up, but I haven't really paid attention to it in a very long time. And instead recognize that there's an integration within my head and with my heart where I start to deal with one wound. I notice the offshoots of these other wounds. I begin to recognize this is where Christ was with me in this darkest Mm. moment. This is how Christ can bring me further into the light, even though it's going to, it's like when you wake up from a migraine headache and the aura is gone, but you still are scared to step into the bright light or to hear any sort of Mm. bright noise. Cause you're like, it's going to come back, right? Like I deal with migraines and that's always my fear. It's gone right now, but I know Mm. it's going to come back again. And we seek healing knowing it's this ongoing process but we, we at the same time don't even want to start the process because we know it's going to hurt and we know mm-hmm. it, it, it's going to require some digging and that's going to require some hardship. And, you know, that's a beautiful story. And you offered some great wisdom of this is what it's going to feel like. If you could go back to, to Sister Josephine day one, you walk into that counselor's office and you can grab her right before she steps in the room and say, OK, here's my one piece of advice for you. What would that word be for them, for you? 
try to enjoy this. <laughs> okay. Wasn't try expecting to, that. <laughs> try to, yeah, that's like where my hangup is, is. It's hard for me to like understand like the joy and the grace and the beauty that's at play mm-hmm. when it's sucking, <laughs> you know, like yeah. in the midst of it sucking and being painful and being hard. It's always hard for me, like when I'm in that to like encounter the beauty and the grace and the presence of Jesus and be delighted at the presence of Jesus and joy. Mm. And so like, it's a great privilege and a huge success. Like when you submit yourself to Jesus, the healer to be healed. And so like, enjoy that, Mm. you know, like let the graces that come along with that settle on you richly, you know, that's what I would say. Mm. I can look back after the fact that I wish that in the context of it, I could let it like settle on me more richly, mm-hmm. even while it's sucking. We're so dichotomized, you know, it sucks. And then after I can reflect on it, it's joyful. But if I can hold all of that more sincerely, like as it's happening. I mean, ain't that the cross, right? Like I'm going to cry right. when I'm standing at the foot of it, but I sure <laughs> as heck know he's going to rise again. He told me. Yes. It's going to yes, be really yeah. painful when I'm not yet in that garden of resurrection, but I know that it, when I'm first in the garden of Gethsemane, I don't want to be here, but I can't, I can't yeah. go to the garden of resurrection until I, I bleed a little bit first. Yes. And we are people who can be assured that tombs are fruitful in places of life. Mm. Like we can be assured of that. And so a lot of times for my clients, I will liken wounds. I will liken wounds to tombs, mm. but we're going to walk in there and we're going to come out with life. Um, Amen. So we're an Easter people. Hallelujah is our song. Sister, where can <laughs> folks follow you? If they're in Texas, where can they, where can they seek out some counseling for you? <laughs> If I'm in the, the state, I am licensed in the state of Texas. So the practice is called REM Counseling, R-E-M-M, and then the word counseling, owned by a wonderful lady here in Tyler, who was my supervisor. And then I'm on Twitter at a handle I can never remember. It's like S Josephine <laughs> underscore CSFN, I think. We'll tag. <laughs> the Instagram is sister underscore Josephine. But that's usually just a little mental health and a lot of life with the sisters in ministry. So yeah. beautiful. I'll see you in January, sister. I can't wait to hang out. I'm so excited. It's gonna be it's gonna be a blast. <laughs> Celebrating yeah. life. It'll be a it'll be a good old time. Thank you for joining yeah. us. Thank you, Katie. You know, I always walk away from these conversations with Sister Josephine with the biggest smile on my face. We recorded this back in August, and it seems like a really long time ago now. But I remember when I hung up the Zoom call and, you know, as with all of the episodes, kind of leaned back in my chair and just took a deep breath. I couldn't wipe the smile from my face. She truly is a beacon of joy. She truly is a fount of of wisdom and knowledge. But I think also gives a very beautiful testimony about what healing can look like in a person's life and how that can then, you know, in the loving of our families and the loving of the people that are put right in front of us, how that can transform the world. You can find out everything uh, that we've created, find more of our episodes, find deep dive articles with our podcast guests, get a little bit of a teaser of what's coming in our upcoming series for Advent, which will be kicking off at the end of November. You can find out everything that we're creating for you, Find it all over at AveMariaPress.com, all one word, AveMariaPress.com. You can find what we've made this season, what we've created in the past. Everything is right there at the top in the free resources section. 
You can sign up for our weekly Ave Explorers email so you won't miss a thing. Thousands of people are signed up for this email. Lots of folks are tuning into this podcast. We'd love it if you'd share it with more. We are very proud of what we're creating. We think these conversations are incredibly transformational. I know they were for me as I was having them. I think they will be for you as well. And I certainly think they would be for anyone that you share this content with. So check it out over at AveMariaPress.com. We've got some more excellent conversations tackling the journey of healing, the process of healing. We sit down next week with a couple of people to discuss addiction and the way addiction has changed our brains and how healing can heal them, obviously, and change our brains into something even better and something different and something renewed. So you don't want to miss any of it. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. It's there. Give it a rating and review. Share it with your friends. Most importantly, thank you for being on this healing journey with us. We'll see you next week with a whole lot more of Ave Explorers. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.